thank you for joining us at Truth Be Told, where we tackle various topics, all from a biblical perspective. I'm JP, and I'm here with my wife, Christy. Christy, say hi. Hi. And today is Marriage Monday. So we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. We've debated what this topic was going to be called and went back and forth, but I think we've settled on how to fight fair in marriage. So just to lay a little bit of background, hopefully this is stating the obvious, but we just want to be clear that fighting fair is the verbal jousting that tends to happen in marriage, not physical in any form. If it's any has any form of physicality, then you are in an abusive relationship. Run, run far away, get out of such a relationship. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and dive into what we're talking about with fighting fair. And yes, you will fight in your marriage. It will happen. To think otherwise is being quite naive. Uh, and, you know, also just building the base a little bit too. It, when you are deciding to spend your life with another, that is what you're doing. It's not, okay, hey, I'm standing in front of God and family and friends and making a commitment as long as my spouse does what I want her to do or what I want him to do. It's, it is a commitment. As many vows say, for better or for worse, no matter what. Uh, so I think you have to realize that you are committing to do something. That changes your whole perspective in how the marriage is going to be. And the first thing we're going to dive into is avoiding the two Ds in your marriage uh, growing conversations. Never throw out the word divorce because if you're in a relationship with one foot out the door, how's it ever going to succeed? So divorce is not an option. And so with that said, okay, you can't jump to the next thing. Well, um, I wish you were dead or I'm going to kill you. Those type of things. That's not cool either. It's, so JP, probably fighting with a steak knife in your hand isn't a good option. <laughs> that would come back to the physical part, but I don't think that would be a good idea. No. So... Um, you know, being married to one another over 25 years, I know that before we said our I do's, we discussed these topics as far as divorce. And, you know, I think it's important to have those conversations before you get married to know, as you said, it's just not an option. Um, and I can say again, with us being married over 25 years, it's just never even popped into my mind. Hopefully, uh, I not yours either, <laughs> but um, it's just it's just never a thought. So I think that it is important to have those conversations prior to, and if you haven't had those conversations and then you are now in marriage, to definitely change that mindset where just divorce is not an option. Um, we're going to see this through, and we're going to do all we can to make this work. Well, again, we, you know, we talked about bringing things to you from a biblical perspective. As the scripture says, you two will come together as one and cleave together as one. You know, we believe that to be true. Now, 
I wish it were just that simple when you both were <laughs> like-minded all the time. That's rarely the case, at least in our uh, beautiful relationship. It, yeah, that is rarely the case. We are definitely different individuals. I think uh, my wife would tell you the same, but we uh, figure it out, and it's, it's fun. It's right. Fun. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, the, the other part we wanted to touch on too is avoid extremes and, and when you're fighting, which is again going to happen and healthy, I think, um, for you to grow. It's a piece of it. Not that you're going and picking fights and want it to happen every single day, but it, it's part of a relationship. You want to avoid the extremes. So, like, don't lash out. So, in anger, that would be the common thing that would cause you to lash out. Or frustration, whatever you want to call it. Don't lash out and say mean things to your mate. It's definitely hard to take those back once that's put out there. And I know for me personally, I not I don't know that I necessarily lash out, but I go to shutdown mode. And that's the other extreme, <laughs> the silent treatment. <laughs> and so as, as my wife's already identified, you can see who's what in our relationship. She, she goes to shutdown mode, as she called it. I call it the silent treatment. You never know how long it's going to last. Is it an hour? Is it weeks? Uh, the good Lord only knows. But <laughs> I'd like to think I don't know that I'd do that for weeks, but definitely it's good to know what those weaknesses are so that you can work through them with one another. And I know that uh, after several years of being married, we do kind of, we can call each other out on that. Uh, and I think that that's healthy as well. Yes, yeah, definitely through growth together, you become a stronger union. And it, that's what's so cool. But I, I'm definitely, if there's a lash out person in our relationship, it certainly would be me. I'm the guy that can say what I need to say that, well, she needs to hear. And I'm, I'm, sarcasm is a dangerous thing. But in this moment, I am using sarcasm, okay? <laughs> she, she didn't need to hear most of what I had to say. And honestly, it wasn't even fair. But yes, I will on occasion lash out. And as Christy said, it's certainly regrettable things that are said that you have to go back and clean up afterwards. But I can do that and be done. It's like, okay, it is what it is. Let's move on. And then you got the other stream, which... I'm still in shutdown mode. Yeah. <laughs> Three days later. <laughs> and it's like, what's your problem? I'm, hey, I'm kind of simple. Sometimes I'm not even smart enough to figure it out. And, you know, but again, those are two extremes I think that you really need to avoid. And we've definitely, as we're sharing with you guys... We fell into those pitfalls a lot early and still do. I still do occasionally, for sure. But I think Chrissy pointed out something. We, we, we've been in each other long enough we can call each other out on it and move forward pretty quickly, thankfully. Um, one thing that will help with that is just... I'm, I'm a, like, quote guy, a saying guy, like, phrase guy... I think if you pray before you say in any relationship or in anything you're doing in your life, you're going to be better for it. So that would be a, just to avoid those extremes. I would say yeah, that's hard to do in the moment, right? I get it. I'm being real. I get it. But pray before you say. So take a moment, reflect, 
and pray before you say. Well, I mean, what do you think, Christy? Absolutely. Just taking that pause, praying, and keeping Christ in the center. You know, as you said from the beginning, you know, we we both accepted Christ early in our relationship together over over 25 years ago. And so just keeping him in the center, of course, is going to be the most important thing in the relationship. Yes, Christ, Christ has to be the center. And that's your first building block. Now, if you, you know, if you're stumbling upon this or listening to it as a non-believer, that everyone has that choice to make, but I'm just going to put it as it is. You're going to have a missing element in your life and in your relationships if you don't have that. You got to have, well, a moral compass makes everything like fall into place and make sense. Uh, sometimes the pray before you say, you might not be in your rational mind in a moment when you're having uh, disagreement or discussion. So there's where you got to be mature enough, at least one of you, to call a timeout. You know, they use a sports analogy. Say, hey, we got to... We got to take a time out. Let's walk away from this. We'll come back. We'll, we'll finish this up later. Especially if you're emotionally charged at the moment. Um, I know women get coined with being more emotional stereotypically than men. But I think a lot of times in like disagreements, it can be the guys that are emotionally charged and maybe struggle to deal with that. I don't know. I mean, that's just my random thought on it. I don't know what... Maybe it depends on the situation. I, I would say that's fair. And most of the time, if you do take that pause for a minute and walk away and you think about what you have disagreed about, it seems probably silly um, most of the time, probably 80% of the time, what you are disagreeing about, you can laugh about later. <laughs> Hopefully. I think so. I, I think also, too, you can even... Like, not even remember what the root disagreement was, what the root cause was of the whole uh, argument. I think that plays out some, too. I think in not bringing up past arguments, I think that we, um, between us, that we, we don't, we try not to bring in something from the past that you just, like you said, you, you forget about it and you move on. Um, you're not bringing up something that happened a year ago or two years ago. You have to be ready to just move on from that moment and you've put that behind you. I think that's a very valid point. It, it, you, if you put out your garbage and you have the pickup this weekly, you don't go back to the city dump or the county dump, wherever, and get that garbage back. It's the same thing with fights and things. Once it's done, it's done. Don't go digging up old dirt and old garbage and throwing it back out again. I, I think that would not be fighting fair, just to stick with our uh, title for the day. That certainly would not be fair. Yeah. Oh, another one, too. We didn't have this uh, etched out before we started bringing this to you, but I think it's an important one, too, because this happens a lot. Avoid the... Um, parent comparison game 
like, oh, you're just like your, you know, insert which parent you want to choose here. <laughs> I think a lot of uh, couples but, tend to do that. Yeah, that's never good. Yeah. <laughs> I can say, you know, I can say really that's something that we in the, in the years we've been married, that's something we never really went to much as our go-to, like, fighting, like, low-blow type deal. We never really went to that much. Like, no. I don't know why, but we, we, we didn't do that. We definitely did do the extremism of lashing out and silent treatment. We've definitely been guilty of that. And I think we've exchanged roles on those some, just trying to show the other one what it felt like. And, <laughs> and that's even sillier, honestly. <laughs> But, you know, now that we have grown together over the years, at times, if we have a disagreement or we are going through a thought, thought process together, I think it helps us, in the end, become closer. Because I'll learn something about you or you'll learn something about me. Maybe something that bothered me that... I went to shutdown mode and you didn't realize that that even bothered me or, or, you know, vice versa that you were, you were upset and I didn't even think about what. So just definitely putting the other person first and not being so caught up in yourself. I think sometimes we tend to just focus so much on ourselves and uh, we're in this relationship together. So I should be thinking of you yeah, way well, more than I am me. Well, just like, you know, th- the Great Commission, we've already touched on, lightly, but we've touched on the fact of loving God, you know, with our heart, mind, body, and soul, and the other piece is to love others as yourself, and so the, the more you can think about your mate, and the less you think about yourself, the better it's going to be. If you're driven to please them instead of wanting them to please you, Mm -hmm. it's going to go a lot better for sure. And you're going to have a better relationship. Yeah. Now, we we have one more thing we're going to bring up. Just, you know, this light and fun at the end of this. Now, even though both of our children are adults now, it's still like one of those things, Mom, Dad, what are you doing? So (laughs) I will give a disclaimer here in case they decide to listen. For the next, like, 30 seconds, it's going to be G-rated, but we're going to throw out a suggestion they might have one of those moments so kids if you are listening tune out for about 30 seconds <laughs> All right. so the other suggestion would be which is a good thing that can come from your healthy disagreements as you're growing together is the make up make out sessions you know of course that can always be fun we've had some of those i would you know full disclosure and I don't know. Well, I, making up is always the best part. I, I, I would agree. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Keeping it G-rated. Now, hey, just to conclude, you know, how to fight fair. The biggest thing that we emphasize that first is being all in. You got to be committed. A lot of people don't take their word to mean much nowadays. And that's just not biblical when it's not the right way to be. So when I said I do... It meant I will always. And thankfully, I found a mate that to this point feels the same way. I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for listening to us. If you have anything you would like for us to discuss on Marriage Mondays or the other 
different topic days we bring up, feel free to uh, hit us up on our Facebook page under comments. We'll look at them. We'll do our best to respond to those as well. And we have other means to be contacted too. So we'll post those all up. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us here at Truth Be Told, where we tackle various topics all from a biblical perspective. Hi, I'm JP, and I'm here with my beautiful bride, Christy. Christy, would you like to say hi? Good evening, everyone. We are, this is Wednesday with the Word here at Truth Be Told, and we're diving into Romans, uh, just to be transparent with you all my thought was we'd start in one of the four gospels i was leaning heavily towards john and then the holy spirit got involved and we felt led that we really should dive into romans and then after we pretty much made up our mind on that this past sunday at church one of the elders there just spouts through from memory all the different scriptures from romans from the Roman road to salvation. That's a big part of the reason why we're doing Romans here. Um, so we're going to, I'm excited to dive in. So we're going to pray quickly and then we'll dive right into the word. Um, okay, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes living for you so much easier because we can die to self and let him shine through. Thank you for your holy word that we're about ready to get into. We know that you say it won't return void. So we're asking you to use your word here to proclaim your truth and to convert non-believers that may come across your word and hear this podcast. And we also ask that us believers be convicted by your word to boldly proclaim your truths and not cower in fear of what you have told us is true and holy. Lead every word that Christy and I say. May it be only what the Holy Spirit is leading us to say. In Jesus' so holy name we pray. And amen. Amen. Christy, you want to start us off? Sure. And just to give a quick background, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote the letter to the Christians in Rome. And something I found kind of interesting while we were studying beforehand was the word God occurs 153 times in Romans. And they broke that down to an average of once every 46 words. And that was more frequent than any other New Testament book. So I just thought that that was interesting um, because Romans deals with many different themes. But as much as the book can be, it is a book about God. So let us start with Romans 1, verse 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, 
which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship of obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also in the call of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as you guys probably picked up on, we're uh, reading from the King James Version. And these first seven verses, besides an introduction, were also brought out how Jesus fulfills prophecy in the flesh being in the line of David and in the spirit through his resurrection that we may have eternal life. And then, um, did you have anything you wanted to add on the first seven verses? No, I do not. Okay, so we'll go ahead and just, we're going to read on through uh, verse 17. Okay. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve, with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, and that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey, prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gifts, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you, by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brother, that oftentimes I proposed to come unto you, but was let there unto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written and the just shall live by faith. Okay, so now in verses 8 through 17 here, uh, verse 16 I would call the power verse of this chapter. And just to recap, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Here is just the the salvation message. Through Christ, we have eternal life. And, you know, thank God for that. Uh, What's beautiful is the Word of God can stand alone. It doesn't need us to prop it up. It doesn't need us to, you know, do anything with it. Right there it is, the message of salvation, right in written text from God breathed from our Savior.
And we're going to start diving in the verses 18 through 32. We'll probably stop more as we read through these and talk a little bit as we go through. Did you have something you wanted to add, dear, to, through those verses before we move on? Okay, just making sure. Nope. Don't hesitate to jump in. <laughs> uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here, in verse 18, we get the wrath of God. We're kind of really diving into those that reject God's word or reject God as sovereign. And we're getting into the wrath of God, which is going to get deep real quick. And in verse 20, this really clears up. For those of us that struggle, well, what about about the people that may have never heard the gospel? It clearly spells out that from the beginning, they could see God through his invisible attributes. And they are without excuse. So they have seen God and known God. We'll hear that more. It's like mentioned three times in these verses coming up. And they still choose to reject him. So let's go ahead and move on to verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, see, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So there's an example where they knew God, but they rejected, and then their hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Many people today... Consider their own wisdom, and they think they know, and really they're just foolish because they're rejecting the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Well, JP, I think in 21, mm-hmm. we also see this happening uh, a lot, you know, many, and it, and it says, will know God, but they're not glorifying him. And they haven't put their their trust in God. So mm-hmm. um, that clearly spells that out as well. Yeah, and it goes on to talk about that too in verse 23. And they changed the glory of the in- uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Do you think that that kind of talks about how sometimes... You see, we create our own God. Yes. And what we think God is, mm-hmm. and not what the Word says God is. Certainly. We create Him in our mind of what we think. And even when we're talking about His wrath, we're looking at that in a totally different way than how God looks at it. His wrath is from love. Mm-hmm. And we look at it in a different way. So. I just think that that also shows 
that are that we try to put um, our stamp on God of what He is. Well, that's creating our own God and our own idol, which isn't God at all. But yeah, I would agree. We do. We many do. In verse twenty-four, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through their the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now you're going to we're coming up in a lot of these verses where you're going to hear some things that people are pushing to make right today. And they're saying you're haters if you don't believe these things are okay. This is straight from scripture. And I encourage all believers to stand on scripture as the inherent word of God and May we be bold in doing so. That doesn't need to be mean, but just matter of fact. If someone wants to be upset about that, they're choosing to reject God. They need to take that up with God. And if they're choosing to reject God, you don't want to be accepted by them anyway. You want to have them be persecuting you because that's what the scripture tells us is going to come. Diving back into the word. I think we're on verse 25, yes. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they're serving each other, themselves, their own idols, instead of the creator. And as the word says, I think we'll just let that stand alone. And we'll go on to 26. For this cause God gave them up onto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. So God's given them over to the lust of their hearts, and they've exchanged the truth for a lie. And they're worshiping the created instead of the creator. All that's said in those scriptures. Moving on to verse 28. I'll go ahead and read the rest and then we'll talk some more. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, excuse me, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do. So that was a lot, you know, just all the different 
wrongdoings that the non-believers, the rejectors of God, do. And they're just given over to a perverted mind. And they're going to think what they're doing is right. And it says at the end, not only are they going to participate, but they're going to think others that are participating in such things are right. You're not going to convince them that they're wrong. Only through intervention of God are they going to be saved. That doesn't mean we cower in fear. Certainly not. We we know that he who is within us is greater than he is who, who is in the world. So we've got to stand boldly on the truth of God. JP, I love how Paul puts this into words and shows that here between 29 and 32 it shows all of these sinful things and puts them together because sometimes we hear we break these sins up as this isn't as bad as this but when we say full of envy but murder he he puts all that together mm-hmm. and sin is sin and we cannot overcome that without Jesus Christ we have to know we're a sinner yes and only through Christ grace can we find eternal life and in these verses it it indicates that they're haters of God so how can if we are Christians those of us that are Christians how can we find common ground with haters of God at the foundation we're totally different and I think that's important to remember I I don't want to get over-focused on current topics or trends in the world because I think you can get distracted from that. I I want to focus on our relationship with Christ and growing through what Christy and I are doing, studying His Word and reading it together and discussing it together. And, you know, thank you for joining in with us. Uh, Hopefully we're all, I know we will be, we'll all be better for it as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for your time, and I pray that God's Word will change your life. See you next time. Bye. Thank Him for that. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Truth Be Told. It's Wednesday with the Word. My name is Christy, and I'm here with my husband, JP. Hello. And we are going to study Romans chapter 2 tonight, and then after we read some scripture, we will have a discussion. Therefore, you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impendent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and 
revelation in the righteous judgment of God. Who will render in each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jews first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Hmm. For there is no partiality with God. I think that's a big component of God's righteous judgment. He's not partial. He is a righteous judge. And here you can see he's speaking to moralists, those that think their moral living is going to be a way to escape God's judgment or God's wrath. As we know, as Christians, it's a gift of grace from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that gets us away from God's righteous judgment. He took the judgment upon himself and God's wrath upon himself. But right here, he's hitting the ones that are living morally, like, hey, I, I'm doing everything right, so to speak. Like, uh morally, fleshly, but we're going to get into what's their inward man like. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add on those first 11 verses, dear? I did not. Okay, so we're going to go on to verse 12 through 16, and we're going to hit, if I was going to identify key verses in this chapter, it would be verses 14 through 16, so you know, pay close attention as we go through these, starting with verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. I think it's kind of cool here. That where Paul even claims the gospel, you know, he's he's right there in it. Not only is he not ashamed of the gospel that was mentioned in Romans 1.16, he's claiming it. You know, I claim the gospel of Christ. I claim what God has tasked me to do. He's he's all in. That's the way we're supposed to be with God. Not just living it morally. Our hearts are in it too, as these verses refer to. And also, I think what something that's brought out is good works do not bring doesn't bring salvation. Salvation brings good works. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So like, he, oh, go ahead. No, I, I, that's really all I had to say. Let's go ahead and dive into the next verses, starting with verse seventeen. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent. 
being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light in those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Who you say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Because of you, it is written. So one thing to point out too, we're going to get to this in future chapters of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's important for these moralists, you know, and that can easily be you and me. We can easily fall into this trap to recognize that they are sinners so they can repent of their sin and receive salvation. And really, I was trying to think if there was anything else to add on these verses. Christy, did you have something? I Really, it, it kind of just lays it out that the Jewish people, in this case, are as guilty as the Gentiles. So they can't think they're better than. Mm-hmm. So we'll go ahead and dive into the last few verses of the chapter, starting with verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he who... Excuse me, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Well, the evidence is found in the work of God in our hearts. Yes. And um, shows itself in the fruit. And in that last verse there, it's talking about the, the outward signs of religion. I was reading that it may earn us praise from men, but it's not going to earn us praise from God. That your heart in the evidence of how you Well, in the other scripture, it does say that if you are praised here, you already received your reward anyway Mm -hmm. and we should be looking to please god not men Mm -hmm. so that's why it's a heart thing through the holy spirit that's the true path to salvation just this chapter is working hard to lay that out uh did you have anything that you wanted to add i did not okay i have something from i was studying commentary on this from david gusick and I hope I pronounced his name right. If not, I apologize. Uh, he had listed something from Willie, William 
Newell, where he summarized Romans 2 with this. Seven great principles of God's judgment that are worth noting. One, God's judgment is according to the truth. Romans 2, 2. God's judgment is according to accumulated guilt. Romans 2, 5. God's judgment is according to works. Romans 2, 6. God's judgment is without partiality. Romans 2, 11. God's judgment is according to performance, not knowledge. Romans 2.13 God's judgment reaches the secrets of the heart. Romans 2.16 God's judgment is according to reality, not religious profession. And that's Romans 2.17-29 So one other important thing to note about this chapter is you see here a tenet of Christianity that is unlike any other religion, how it points to issues of the heart, the inward man, that you don't see such things in other religions when they're talking about the circumcision of the heart in the spirit. So I, I think that's just, you know, another little sidebar that's important to note. Uh, in future weeks, we're going to continue working through the books, book of Romans. And one of the big reasons we're doing that, besides how it lays out how important it is of how we conduct ourselves, it also has what a lot of people refer to the Roman road to salvation, which are several different verses that are contained throughout the book of Romans. I, I'm excited to get into more of that as the weeks go ahead. So hopefully you'll join us and walk through. And if you haven't, made the decision for Christ that you're going to live for him and by him and receive the free gift of grace that maybe the walk through the Roman road to salvation will lead you right there to your salvation. Well, dear, any parting words? No, it's exciting that we're going through Romans and being able to study together. I'm enjoying doing that. And it will take us from man's sin to the heights of man's salvation. Yeah. So I'm excited to be able to do that with you. So thank you. Yeah, hey, and you know, just a little side note on couples. Couples that study together, stay together. So, hey, be blessed. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us here at Truth Be Told, where we tackle various topics all from a biblical perspective. Hey, I'm JP, and I'm here with my wife, Christy. Good evening, everyone. And today is Marriage Monday. We're going to tackle the topic, what is love? And we're going to dive right in. Um, I'm going to let the love master, the master of all <laughs> things love, Christy Gale, start us off. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, when I think of what is love, my mind goes to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. And I like also to take that verse, and you can insert your spouse's name in there, 
Um, I think that's just a beautiful thing to see if that is fitting before you get married <laughs> and to know if it fits those verses in Corinthians. Um, to me, love is not a feeling. It's an attitude. And with God's help, he will, you want to enhance that love of your spouse through God's help. And I think we get so caught up on our feelings and how we feel that we forget that love is an attitude. What do you think? Well, you laid out like a whole gauntlet, a whole, <laughs> whole like a smorgasbord of different things that, you know, we really could dive into there. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to chew in and you just glazed over it real quick but i just to take a step back okay like when i was looking up love in the dictionary online you know doing the search it it has a definition for it both as a noun and a verb mm -hmm. i think that is kind of telling of how encompassing love can be and how much we use it and what does it really mean um, it's hard for me, Mr. Uh, Ex-military, don't express feelings guy to really uh, get deep into what uh, feelings are. But I, I think it's interesting comparing whether love is a noun or a verb. Not mm -hmm. getting all English professor on you because I'm not that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think love has to have action with it. Yes. It's more than just a noun, so to speak. Mm -hmm. it's, it is, it has an action piece to it. I go back to talking about scripture, you know, just John 3, 16, which is a very popular verse. But God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's just a... I think a picture of what love is, sacrificial love. To give up your only child for others, I think anyone that's a parent can really relate to how, what type of love that would be. And you can, you know, you also can go into 1 John where it talks about, it's 1 John 4.16 to be exact, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. And what is that saying to you? Well, basically, I think it dives into the sacrificial piece of love. And what it means to truly love another. Right. That's just, you know, just kind of my two cents. Uh, backing up a little bit into what you brought out in 1 Corinthians 13, which is common. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people refer to that. You know, some, some translations have the word charity. Right. Instead of love. It, it, interchangeable in my mind. Um but let's just break down that a little bit. The first piece, 
it, oh, I guess I should add, thankfully, I don't think she did this for me, you know, before we got hitched because <laughs> it would have been an epic fail. To, to uh, fully self-identify, if we did it today, it would probably be an epic Fair. Oh, not at all. Yeah, uh, you're being kind. We're, <laughs> we're talking to others, but that's just being real. But if you go through this piece by piece, the different characteristics or attributes of love. Right. Patient. Mm-hmm. Kind. Mm-hmm. It's not envious. Mm-hmm. Or boastful. It's not proud. So it's mm -hmm. humble. Mm-hmm. It's a, a humble love. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking at all. It's not easily angered. Mm -hmm. Stays calm. And, ooh, big one right here. It keeps no record of wrongs. Right. Yeah. It, did you want to read that last part again that keeps no record of wrongs? <laughs> no. You sure? I'm sure. Sure you don't need to? I don't need oh, to. I, I'm sorry. Do I do that? No. 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 I'm, I'm just playing. I'm just <laughs> Just have a little fun. Now, that was just verses four and five. You know, I just right. really wanted to hone in a little bit on those. And it's a lot more than what most of us, especially here in the United States, just throw the word around flippantly. You know, you're going out with somebody, just really probably even getting to know them. Hey, talk to you later. Love you. Right. <laughs> See ya. Do you? Really? Love? Yeah. I don't know. I just... Well, and when you talk about those verses, to me that shows a lot of times in the Bible we see God often commands attitudes and behavior, not emotions. Yes. So when we're discussing your feelings, because oftentimes we hear, you know, I just don't love them anymore. You hear that a lot of times as people are having problems in their marriage or maybe a relationship. And that's basing all of that word love on feelings and your emotions. And I think that we often make our emotions equal to love. And it's an attitude and behavior. It's you know, Ephesians... Yes, mm -hmm. and Ephesians 5, 25 and, and Titus 2, 4 talks about the husband and the wife. Husbands, love your wife. And then Titus 2, 4 talks about the women and what women need to do as well. Um, and it's just something we need to look at. I, I, I was reading and, and it was talking about three things that you should maybe ask yourself and ask your spouse. We we're hearing our little puppy squeak here in the background. Just a side note. Sometimes we often joke with each other about a puppy's love mm -hmm. and how they love you no matter what. They're waiting at the door for you. They're so excited to see you. And that just made me think of that because she's yeah. in the background here squeaking her little toys. <laughs> but um, the three questions was, how can I help my spouse? And how can I make their life easier would be number two. And three, how can I be a better wife or husband. And just to tell you, you do a fabulous job at number two. I, I, you always try to see how you can make my life easier and constantly put me first and, and show me ways to try to ease things in my life. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Uh, 
sacrificial love. And we keep coming back to that, but I think there's no better example of that than Jesus giving his life for us, dying on the cross, being rising again so we can have eternal life. God the Father giving his son. So all these things can happen. Yeah, I think it goes back to that. You have to have the foundation. There's the foundation of what is love. So all we're doing is we're, again, as we talked about last week, we are given a reflection of what love is. And Christ with the church. We are a reflection of Christ. Our marriage, our marriages are a reflection of Christ with the church, his bride. And I love that word agape love. That's mm-hmm. what I think of when I think of Christ's love. That just big agape love and what that really means. Yeah, I I constantly struggle to wrap my mind all the way around that concept still to this day. It's like it in my prayer life and my relationship with him, it's still like I'm still growing in that area. Still just really understanding, you know. He's did so much for me, but still I, I struggle to, you know, really just get get it. All encompassing love. That's a powerful, powerful thing to say for sure. Well, and as you hit on a little bit earlier, selfless, unconditional, forgive one another, respect one another, serve one another day in and day out. And, you know, for us wives, I'll kind of hit on wives a little bit. I think respecting your husband, even when sometimes you don't like, quote unquote, like him, (laughs) you know, but respecting him and loving him. Sometimes we're not always going to like each other, you know, when we have those little tiffs and we're working those things out, but you still respect and love one another through that. And I know as our I've appreciated our adult children who are both now married have both expressed to me and told me in the past that that's something that they appreciated. They saw when maybe maybe I felt one way on a situation and you felt another. They always saw us come together as one and present it that way and, and showing in love. So I appreciate that they saw that through us. As well, yeah, they were the growing. inmates would have ran the asylum if we got divided. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't have that. <laughs> we had to keep order, you know, whether we agreed or not. You know, we had to come to some type of truce so we could keep it in order. You know? I mean, that's well, huge. and you know, serving sometimes serving is all about even when you're not sure if people even truly appreciate it, and that's even those that are closest to us. Well, yeah, even spouses, sometimes they're even going to notice that you might be doing it and it just doesn't really click, but we're supposed to submit ourselves to one another. Absolutely. You know, that's scriptural. Uh, There was a couple things I I wanted to hit on before we do wrap up was, like, I know in 1 John 4.16 I shared it where it talks about God is love. I believe people take this and take it, like a lot of the scripture, they take it out of context and then they make their own God. Well, guess what? When they say things such as, well, my God wouldn't do this or my God wouldn't do that. Well, they're right because that's not the God of the Bible, the God Almighty, the Savior of the world. It, it's not the same. You can't twist God and make him like a genie in the bottle and what you want. I know I'm getting on a sidebar a little bit, but I'll bring it back. A lot of the things in culture today, 
they they skip like this part, like Ephesians 4, 2, where it talks about be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There it is. Being completely humble, that humble word again, and gentle. We have to humble ourselves first before we can even begin to understand who God is. So there's where God is indeed love. But God is just. And God has laid out the blueprint for us how to live and how to get eternal life. We have to do it his way. It's it's not uh, Burger King, as I like to tell kids at work all the time. You can't have it your way. <laughs> So to speak. Not that I'm promoting Burger King. I know they have some questionable things out there. So anyway, you, you like Burger King, fine. You don't, fine too. Um, but the other piece was lust versus love. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, Okay. Well, I think to me that just goes back to emotions and, and feelings. And that's mm -hmm. not true love. Yes. Lust would be more of a... Sexual nature, usually, you know, an attraction. Um, I, I don't even, it can often be confused for love. Right. And to me, sometimes it seems as if for people those feelings may happen because you are, um, you feel a connection or or maybe you think someone's listening to you and that goes back to looking at your own self and what am i doing am i doing what am i being the best spouse i can be am i showing the attitude of christ toward you jp mm -hmm. i need to love you and show you that christ love through me to you and i need to fix my attitude and problem so that you don't have those feelings to somebody else. And if I show you that, I mean, what do you think of that? Well, I, I like what you're saying. I, I just, both part, both husband and wife are equally responsible. I wouldn't want to put it on the other mate because sometimes we fall short and we sin. And I don't want like any like wife, for example, out there feeling guilty because her husband fell short. Absolutely. And maybe she had no part in that. But it does take two to make a relationship work. And, and we're accountable you, for our own actions. Yeah, so I not at all meant I know. I just want to clarify way. that, you know, that we're both in it to win it. And, and in it, <laughs> I punny, I know. But <laughs> I, just, we got to be committed. And there's where, you know, just to wrap up, there's where I would like to just submit as something for everyone to chew on. Yes, love involves feelings, certainly. But in reality, it is a decision with feeling. It's not just a decision because that would be like you made a business deal. Okay, well, it was a good, it made sense, so we went with it. No, it's more than that. Um, but it's certainly more than just a gut feeling too so to speak so it, it i believe it is a decision with feeling so you made a decision that you're committing to your mate and they're going to be your mate 
for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. What God joins together, let no man bring apart. You know, there, there's accountability for that, for people involved in such things. So I just, there's, I guess, just to wrap it up in my mind, love is a decision with feeling. Right. I don't know. What do you think? No, that's beautiful. And I guess I was just looking at self a little bit there at the end of what I can do to make, to ensure that you stay in love with me forever (laughs) and what I can do to be the best wife that I can be. Certainly. Well, we, we are joined together as one flesh. So really what I decide involves you, what you decide involves me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's important. Did you have anything you wanted to? I don't think so. Okay, well, I guess just to conclude for today, um, all those married ones or soon to be married ones out there, you know, cleave to your mate, enjoy every moment. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, and uh, keep loving others with sacrificial love. Uh, hopefully, we've helped you get closer to what is love. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Have a good evening. Thank you for joining us at Truth Be Told, where we tackle various topics all from a biblical perspective. Hey, I'm JP, and I'm here with my lovely bride, Christy. Hi there. And today is Wednesday with the Word. So we're going to dive into Romans chapter 3 today. Uh, we'll, we'll just dive right in. And starting with Romans chapter 3 verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is it the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported And as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Alright, so let's break down these first seven verses before we move on a little bit. Uh, Give some thoughts. Christy, did you have something you want to throw in there? Near the middle there, when it talks about let God be true but every man a liar. Mm -hmm. That statement in there. I think that um, we see here that Paul is saying that God is true and all men are all men are false and God speaks the truth and cannot lie. So it's pretty powerful words right there. Yeah, God is God. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. 
no matter what we say, no matter what we try to twist, whatever, what we do with him, he is unchanging. And part of what was going on here, too, just to give the backdrop, is Paul was dealing with people going around behind him saying that he was teaching, since, you know, he was preaching the gospel that we're saved by faith alone, that he was saying, hey, we could be saved by doing evil things and all these things. So that's where it wraps up there at the verse, in the verse 7, he's saying those people that are going around and slandering what the, he's preaching, they're going to get their due and their condemnation is just because God is just and he will, uh, his wrath will pour out on the unjust. That's why we need Jesus to avoid that. Uh, That's pretty powerful verses there at 1 through 7. Yes. So we'll go ahead and uh, move on to the next set of verses. Verse 9. Yeah, verse 9, sorry. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. It is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together became unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit, the poison of abscess under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet is swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So this goes into several verses of how we've all have sinned. So the whole world is guilty of sin. And what the law does is points out that sin. And points out how we fall short of God's expectations and it in itself cannot save us but it's a necessary piece because if you don't know that you're messing up then it's hard to uh, be sorry for it to repent and turn away from so while the law is necessary and Jesus came to fulfill the law not abolish it it in itself doesn't save us. Right. Any other thoughts you kind of... Um, no, but here, just maybe one little thing through 11 to 18, Paul kind of goes from the toes to the top of the head there, you know, that's kind of <laughs> neat where he makes sure he covers all of us and says... Every single one of us is simple. Every piece yeah. of us. <laughs> There's nothing good. <laughs> and, you know, verse 18 
hits me because there is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. I I, I just I, I don't I think if we lose the rever, reverential excuse me for butchering that word but fear of the Lord, then we we start making our own God, and we might as well just make something out of wood or stone and sit there and worship it. In we my, just. We don't have the proper respect for him like we should. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, moving on to the next several verses, and um, coming up will be Romans 3.23, which is in pretty much every version of the Roman road to salvation, Romans 3.23 is in it. Romans 3.10 is in some, uh, but... 323 is definitely part of the Roman road to salvation, which we've build, been building up on the previous week. So I want to mention that before we got into it. So starting with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thoughts on those verses? I was going to let you go first. Uh, Well, I was looking there at the word uh, in 25, the definition of that. Um, Propitiation? Propitiation. I'm sorry. (laughs) I butchered that as well. (laughs) And exactly what that meant so I was pausing there for a minute to look is that meaning Christ on the cross taking our sins and intervening for us with God is that what that is referring to there um you're asking me a question instead of telling us something yeah so I'm not so I'm not sure (laughs) so when I looked up here it does say has the idea of satisfying is the definition. It refers to the work of Christ on the cross by which he both satisfied the demands of God's justice and canceled the sinner's guilt. So in other translations, it may say mercy seat. Christ's death on a cross is interpreted in terms of the day of atonement. Yep. There it is. Right. Well, much <laughs> better than I would have muddled through <laughs> And again, it talks about God's righteousness and how we can inherit his righteousness through faith. And, of course, the gateway for us is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And again, just to reemphasize Romans 3.23, that's our, if we're going to pick a key verse for this chapter, we're going to pick that one just because it's part of the Roman road to salvation, which has been used effectively by the Holy Spirit to bring people to Christ. Uh, so Romans 3.23, just to reemphasize, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. So there it is. Boom. Drop mic. We all need Christ. Yeah, I think it's... Um... I was reading here, it was talking about in the enduring word, it is impossible to describe every way we fall short, but there's four important ways that man falls short of the glory of God. If you don't mind me sharing those four things with you, um, we fall, we fail to give God the glory due to him in our words, our thoughts and actions Two, we fail to qualify for, and thereby reject the glory and reward that God gives his faithful servants. Three, we fail to properly reflect God's glory by refusing to be conformed into his image. And four, we fail to obtain the final glory God will bestow on his people at the end of all history. I wanted to just read that verbatim because he did such a great job and enduring word of stating those four things that we fail to do. And I just, I may have to write those down later and just keep reflecting on those. Well, I think it takes defining sin to the next level it's more than just uh messing up or doing something wrong we are not living up to the glory of god and the glory he's giving us that's a deeper understanding of truly what we're doing when we're engaging in sin you know it kind of drives it home even more let's go ahead and move on to verses 27 through 31 to finish out the chapter. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not only the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumstances circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Which we hit on this a little bit earlier. Uh, Jesus came to confirm the law, to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So, you know, Paul's talking about that here also. Right, and you touched on this earlier, you know, what what really is the purpose of the law if it's not going to save you, but that keeps us in line so we know. You touched on that a little earlier. Yes, and just to wrap up, I think the, these last few verses do a good job of we have nothing to boast about. No. We are saved by faith, and it's the object of our faith. You know, the story that hits me all the time, and this is, I've heard it on David Jeremiah's, one of his uh, sermons, so it's not my own, but which would you rather have? A whole lot of faith in a quarter inch of ice before you're walking across it, or just a wee little bit of faith in a four inch, four inches thick ice? Well, obviously, it doesn't matter if you have a ton of faith. If your faith is in something faulty, in this example, you're going to fall through the ice. And uh, and even though you have just a wee little bit of faith, but the object of your faith is really thick ice, you're not going to fall through the ice. So it's not about us. It's about him 
and his redeeming work and through him we find salvation and even if our faith is wavering there's where like there's examples in scripture where the people call out and lord i believe help me with my unbelief that's i you know we just have to humble ourselves before him that's what I, the only thing that i thought about wrapping up here is this chapter really does kind of humble you yeah makes me personally feel how unworthy we are and it does you know like kind of lay out too some of the ways to establish the law is once christ has came in to our lives and we have the holy spirit living within us you're going to see fruit from us which is another scripture you know we'll expand too far beyond what we're studying today but it all ties together beautifully woven so we can understand hey thank you all for joining us today and hopefully we'll uh talk with you all next week when we're back for uh, marriage monday thanks thanks have a great day Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Truth Be Told. Today is Marriage Monday. I'm Christy, and I'm here with my husband, JP. Howdy. (laughs) And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about time. And um, I just, as I'm reflecting on that, I think time in 2020 looks a little different than it did for us any other year, no matter where you're at right now with COVID-19. I'm sure time has been a little bit different for everybody. JP, would you agree? I think everybody's still trying to figure out all that for sure. (laughs) And so time with marriage is definitely something that we wanted to look at today. And I think that time is definitely the something we can control. Would you agree? Ah, no, not at all. What do you mean by something that we can control? Our time together that is spent. Obviously, the time we have here on earth is out of our control, and we don't know the day or the time or hour. But as far as the time that we spend together, we do have control of that. You don't think so? The day-to-day, yeah, the our life is like a vapor, though. We don't know when it's going to be done. And, I mean, there's references in Scripture to that, how brief our life is. But I get what you're saying and agree with you. That's kind of why we're coming at this topic today. We can control what we do with our time in the moment, in the present. Oh, that's why I love you, because you clean up what I say, so thank you. <laughs> I don't know about that. We're just, we're just having a conversation, trying to help other people, you know, figure out what to do. I think you got to be real careful. You end up, if you don't live your day, your days end up living you, is how I like to say it. Is Instead of you controlling what's happening in your day, your day kind of dictates it to you. Before you know it, the day's over, and all those hours or past, and you didn't have any or little control of it. So I always like when you say that. Yeah, that's what we're trying to tackle here today, is what we can do to seize that brief amount of gift of time that we get. Carpe diem. 
Yeah. <laughs> Andy, seize the day. <laughs> seize the day. So how are we going to do that? Um, that's a good question. We don't, If we had that total magic answer, then we'd be, uh, you know, selling that for what you what naming our price on various uh <laughs> social engines and we'd be uh making money but we don't have the magic answers but we do have some perspective i think through our 25 years together and our 40 plus years here on the earth that we can offer some insights and that's that's what we're trying to do uh I'm sure many have heard this before, but no one ever reflects back and says that they wish they had spent more time at their work or more time earning money. Uh, so I, I think if you look at it from that perspective with the end in mind, obviously we're not looking to make more and have more to spend. Not that that's a bad thing in itself, but we want to prioritize. So part of spending our time well is we're going to have to identify the priorities. So let's say if that's step one, identify the priorities. Mm-hmm. And it would be, of course, God would be at the top of that. And our marriage, each other, would be second. And then our family. Mm-hmm. And then... Down there is work, and we have others, of course, before that, after our family, and then work, and, and all those things that would fall in line after that. Some of those do end up intertwining, you yes. know, like being together, especially the others in work. Absolutely. A lot of the others that you deal with will probably be in your work situation or in transit to and from or mm-hmm. related to it, mm-hmm. whether it's directly or not. So they, they can intertwine, but... There it is, too. If you don't give God any of your time, if you don't pour into that relationship, is he truly the top priority? Mm-hmm. No. No, he's not. And then, so you, then you have things flipped upside down, and it's hard to get anything else in order. So you got to do that first. Just set that aside. But now we're coming to, you know, Marriage Monday talking about our spouse. That's your number two. Mm-hmm. That's your number two priority. So does your time indicate that your second priority is your spouse. And as you said, it's very easy to get caught up in your work and others. And we've touched on this a little bit in weeks prior to this, that sometimes you just let your day live you and you end up putting your spouse sometimes down on the list. Yeah, you do. Unknowingly. Well... I think we have to be accountable. Mm -hmm. We have to take, if we're going to change anything, we have to own who we are and what we're doing. So if we just slough it off as unknowingly, then we're just existing. And that's miserable. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast or any podcast for that matter, I think you're wanting more than just to exist. If you just want to exist, you're probably just vegging out watching something mindless right now. <laughs> yeah, which we do, you know, we, we do that on occasion together as part of our spending time together. I, I would certainly say that um, those, well, it's Christmas time, those Christmas movies that you love would be a mindless <laughs> thing that we do. But maybe, uh, maybe I'm in the minority. 
<laughs> you do that because I like those love Christmas movies, so you do that for me, so I appreciate it. But we do it together. That's correct. Said. I enjoy the time together as far as the entertainment value. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> anyway, so we're prioritizing. You know, we're talking a lot about our number two priority is our spouse. If that's not your, in, if your spouse isn't in your top two, then why are you married? I'm just going to throw it out there point blank. Nah, that's not an endorsement to get divorced. <laughs> we, we already have covered previously. That's not in our vocabulary. You've right. made a commitment. You honor that commitment um, for better or for worse. Hopefully for a lot of better. But, <laughs> So, you pro- priority straight, you got your spouse as your number two. What are you going to do with time from there? Um, now, this isn't simple. Obviously, most jobs involve at least 40 hours a week. So, mm-hmm. that's 40 hours a week that you have committed to your job. And often, that's going to be away from your spouse. Then, if you sleep, that's... A third, you know, up to a third of your day, mm-hmm. every day sleeping as well. Um, if it's more than that, you might want to re-examine how much you're sleeping. Just saying. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody say anybody look back and say, "I wish I'd have slept more." Either. Just <laughs> be a point. You know, I mean. But with that, I think there's seasons of life too, and this mm-hmm. is scriptural. There's seasons of life. Um, there's a time to grind sometimes, like early on in our relationship. I felt like there was a time to grind in different ways. For you, it was with our young children. Right. Directly. And doing a lot of heavy lifting there. And with me, it was uh, working, getting a degree and then an advanced degree. And also coaching. So all those things to combine with ate a lot of time that wasn't necessarily with you. Um, But I think we, at that time, also took the initiative to do it together. Um, I know early on you said to me, hey, you know, I have a passion. I would like to coach. I would like to do this. So would you like to join me in this endeavor and do that? So I think that we tried to also show that and represent that to others and our children that, hey, we're in this together. Certainly. Not that I helped you coach in any way, but anytime there was something that I could help with or be there to support you, we tried to do that even with our children at a very young age. No, we definitely tackled it together. And a lot of it tied into, fortunately, what our children like to do, we were involved in as well, not just from... a supportive parent, but oftentimes I was involved in the coaching in the that with them too. Um, so again, that's maximizing time and not getting distracted from what is most important. Yes, and I think you say this often, and sometimes I often mess up a different saying, so correct me if I'm wrong, but live where your feet are. Mm-hmm. And that just takes that time to help me remember okay we're together I need to live with my feet or not be here there and everywhere with my mind because even that even if I'm not on a gadget or on my email or or different things if my mind is somewhere else and not with you that shows as well so I think you definitely have to take that time to live where you're at 
even if you're just together, just for a couple hours and or maybe an hour or less sometimes in the evening before it's time to lay down and do it all again tomorrow. Well, just the first place I remember hearing that was from Dr. Kevin Elko, just to give credit where credit is due. But with that said, it, it is something that people screw up a lot, is they're thinking about work when they're at home. And then they're thinking about home when they're at work. And so really, they're never mentally where they are physically. Never engaged. They're never fully engaged or even probably half engaged. Mm -hmm. And that's not how we're designed to be. And things look a lot different now, JP, than when we first got married. It's crazy to think that only we're in our 40s, but yet there really wasn't cell phones Mm -hmm. when we first got married. So our marriage, when we were in our 20s without cell phones, and our marriage as we're in our 40s and cell phones really look different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you look around at maybe our adult children who are married or, you know, different if you just look out and, and it does look different as you're spending quality time together than it did 20 years ago. Yeah, it does. So, so I think that's even more of living where your feet are, being engaged, paying attention to one another, um, and being able to interact with one another. It's just very important. Yeah. So if we're kind of like making a list, because I'm kind of a list guy, it, it, number one, we're going to identify our priorities. So our spouse has got to be up there. We talked about number one, number two. In our world, we're going to clearly push for your spouse to be number two. Um, Because, you know, we are God-fearing Christians, so that's how the priorities fall for us. Uh, After you prioritize, then however you want to say it, live where your feet are, be engaged. I I like that a lot, Mm -hmm. like what you said. So be all in with the one you're with. You know, so so what we're doing is we're identifying our priorities, our spouse is up there, and then we're being engaged, so we're committing time to our spouse. So there, there's two, committing mm-hmm. time. So, and then if we come down, I think then we go three is being engaged in that time. Because you can commit time, especially nowadays with the different cell phones and gadgets and social media you can be there physically but easily again get distracted and be surfing on your phone or texting people when you're with the one you love and not really being there so just throwing out those three things identifying your priorities and then you're going to commit to being with them you know, committing the time, so mm-hmm. physically scheduling the time, and then the third one, being engaged during that time. Mm-hmm. If you can do those three, man, I think your relationship grows. Right. Grows exponentially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I believe so. Um, now, we, we touched on this earlier about a time to grind in life being of seasons. I think, I think just to, you know, wrap up, there are times in life, like when... I was getting a degree, then it was like, okay, it's your turn if you want to. You didn't want to, so then I got my master's degree. (laughs) And then we had that, you know, wrapped up when the kids were still, like, young to maybe early elementary school age. Mm -hmm. You know, so still young, still a lot of time to pour into them. And then we could 
uh, take her foot off the accelerator a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important key. If you're grinding for a means to an end, okay. But if you're just grinding for that ever-moving goal like money, because mm -hmm. it will never be enough, and the funny thing is, it will always be enough. I think that's funny because right. I feel like we live similarly now, as blessed as we are, mm -hmm. as we did when we were in the military. I was the only one getting in. Well, I mean, most of the time, the only mm -hmm. one getting an income coming in, and we were making nothing. Right. We were making nothing because enlisted, when you're first in the military, you don't make much. That's just the way it is. Military is an unsung hero thing, and mm -hmm. I worked a ton. Because I was a cop. That's mm -hmm. just how it was. It'll never be enough. Yeah. You always want more or always... Or you all, But you always find you have enough, especially in the United States. We're a very blessed nation to this point. Mm -hmm. I will get off on a sidebar, so I'm going to say just that. We're a blessed nation to this point and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2020. Wow. Um, but you got to have the goal in mind of having control of your time to a certain extent so you can put it where your priorities are. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. And if your work really is that big a priority for you, then again, it goes back to that. Maybe you shouldn't uh, join together with another as one. Mm -hmm. yes. Do you have any thoughts on that like, piece before? No, I was just thinking when you said 2020, I know we kind of started off with that, but it definitely has been a year to reflect on our time. For some of us, 2020 has maybe stepped it up, made us busier in our work. Some of us are home working. I mean, we're all in different areas of with 2020. And so I think that if it has taught us that we are not in control, definitely, <laughs> we are not in control and that it is, we just need to value that time with our spouse because we don't know the day or the hour and we're not in control. And it's meaningful to be able to spend that time together. I've had a lot of things shake me up personally with this year. You know, just 2020 and the, uh, all the different things it's brought with it with COVID and things. But then also some personal things that, that have happened over the course of the year with people that I know and care about, you know, seeing seeing someone, you know, I knew and cared about pass away, and then, you know, friends we go to school with get sick, and just, you know, things like that really have uh, jolted me and made me just realize how valuable and precious time is. You know what, JP, when 2020 started, a lot of the different slogans that were being used was vision mm -hmm. because of 2020. And I think that you can still look now in November of 2020 and say, I'm trying to gain a clearer vision of what is really truly important. And it has tried to open my eyes to that. Well, I don't know how much I was focused on relationships when 2020 started. Right. But I know how much I am now. Right. <laughs> I think that is very, yeah. that was a good way to sum it up. Yeah, it definitely changed perspective there, didn't it? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, hey, 
as always, we thank you for joining in on Truth Be Told, where we tackle various topics all from a biblical perspective. And until next time, thanks. Bye. Have a good evening.